It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Happy Halifax Resolves Week, Sky. Happy Halifax Resolves Week to those who celebrate. Oh, we all celebrate here in North Carolina. Tell me more about it. 246 years ago, North Carolina sends our delegation to the Second Continental Congress in Philadelphia, and you know what we say? What? We want to declare our independence from Great Britain. Wow. (laughs) It was a big day. April 12th, 1776. And how did you come to know about this date? One, it's all over our flag. There are two dates on our flag. April 12th, 1776. May 20th, 1775. That's when the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence was supposedly signed. There's some controversy about that because we didn't really find that document until 1819. However, if you grew up in North Carolina in the eighth grade, you took North Carolina history. I don't know if that's the case. I thought case. at first you were saying you grew up in the eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> that was my year. <laughs> <laughs> the eighth grade was a lot of growing up. But yeah, North Carolina history, at least when I grew up, the whole year was dedicated to North Carolina history. So for me, it was 1984, 1985. You learn about political history, economic history, the manufacturing and agricultural history of North Carolina. It actually was a great year of school for me. I just loved every part of it. And we still celebrate Halifax Resolves Day, right? Yeah, we do. I mean, it's become a tradition here in Raleigh, where the lieutenant governor invites guests to come to the mansion. Hear a little speech by the lieutenant governor. And we saw a lot of posts yesterday on social media. It is a big day in North Carolina history, and it's become something that is an annual tradition to celebrate it. Did you take Illinois history when you were in school? I don't think that was a thing. I remember in the eighth grade, we were given a blank map of North Carolina. It just had the county lines. And you had to go up to the projector and you had to write in in front of the whole class. You had to write in every single county. And I got all 100 correct. I don't know if I could so do it So everyone, today. you're telling me that everyone in your class just sits there for you to write in 100 counties silently. Yep. Awkward. Yeah, from Alamance County to, believe, Yancey County. Even with all this history being celebrated this week, we had a lot of news. Yeah, a couple of polls came out this week, I think both from WRAL, one on that NC Senate race, and then one just kind of getting the pulse of what North Carolinians thought about different big issues. Yeah, and some of those issues are on the forefront in the General Assembly. Let's start with that. We saw some polling around gambling, abortion, and... Marijuana. Marijuana. Gambling, abortion, and marijuana. What a party. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so we really didn't see a lot of abortion bills, or really much of any abortion bills this past session, at least none that moved. But we did see medical marijuana move in the Senate and sports gambling, and it sounds to me like North Carolina is ready to go. 57% of people thought that recreational marijuana, not medical, should be legalized. So just 57% light up anytime for any reason anywhere. 
That's right. And 72% thought that the medical marijuana should be legalized. Okay. So doctor's prescription, they're, they're okay with that. On the sports gambling bill, kind of the same vein, right? 52% of North Carolinians are okay with the online sports gambling. What is notable about that is that 50% of Republicans supported that. And then on the abortion issue, there really seemed to be no consensus. I think that's just something that has been contentious for decades and is going to continue to be contentious. So it basically breaks down like this. 17% feel that the state should outlaw abortion. 22% felt like the state should at least pass more restrictions. 19% said the state should lower restrictions. And then 26% felt like just leave the abortion issue alone. The other poll is just a follow-up on the poll we mentioned last week in the Republican primary for the Senate race. You've got Bud continuing to lead in polls. This poll, he's leading by 10 points. And on the Democratic side, Beasley is leading Interestingly, with 37% of the support, despite us not even knowing who else is in that race. I could not tell you who is running against her in that primary. She's coming in at 37%. And then you contrast that with Congressman Bud, who is at 33%, and he's got everyone on his heels. This is the second poll showing Congressman Bud in the lead And it kind of ties into what we saw this Saturday in Johnston County when President Trump visited Selma, North Carolina, and held a rally at the farm. We saw folks start to get in line. Lieutenant Governor Robinson officially endorsed Ted Budd in that race, and that was a little bit of a surprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of us thought that Congressman Walker was who Robinson had preferred. He had given some speeches and made some comments about beware of anyone just hanging out in the basement. And a lot of us thought that was a shot at Bud because he didn't show up to that John Locke forum. But yeah, that was a full-throated endorsement of Bud's candidacy. And then as soon as he makes this endorsement, Bud turns around and kind of makes a tacit endorsement. Yeah, he introduces or mentions Lieutenant Governor Robinson as the next governor of North Carolina. The big question that a lot of us are asking each other in political circles is, how do these Trump-endorsed candidates do on May 17th? Because some of the candidates that President Trump endorsed Saturday night, and we all knew he had made these endorsements prior to Saturday night, but he featured them on the stage. And a lot of us are kind of curious as to, is he going to be successful with his slate of candidates on May 17th? Because we have a lot of volatile races out there. Everyone is watching Madison Cawthorn, who has been endorsed by Trump. And as we've mentioned, other Republicans have distanced themselves from him. Also, he endorsed Bo Hines, which seems to be a controversial move because it feels like Republicans maybe aren't that jacked up on him. There were reports that folks booed him when he came on the stage on Saturday. Yeah, so Bo Hines is running in that 13th congressional district. It's basically Southern Wake County. It goes into Johnston County and I think a a couple other counties. So Bo Hines does not live in the district. You don't have to live in a district to run for Congress. 
He's a former NC State football player in the Johnston County Republican Party, which is probably the center of that district, has said, look, we don't know Bo Hines. He's not our guy. So, yeah, the response right there in that district Saturday night was noticeable. I saw a Bo Hines ad last night on TV, and I just don't understand why he wouldn't be using its bow time. <laughs> right. Like I just think it's a missed opportunity for him. So full circle with the Bojangles, right? <laughs> right. We had such a fun conversation with LT McCrimmon, who is the legislative director for Governor Roy Cooper this week. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. All right, LT McCrimmon, welcome to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> That's great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. To start us off, tell us what your job is. What do you do on a day-to-day basis? So my job, <laughs> let me back up. My title <laughs> sure. is legislative director for the governor, for Roy Cooper. But I look at my job as the concierge for our administration. My job is to make sure that any member, regardless of party, if they come to us for something, my job is to facilitate it and get them an answer or get them that longleaf pine. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I didn't I didn't realize walking into this how valuable a longleaf pine yeah. was <laughs> until I started this role. But my job is to make sure that the governor's voice is in the room and making sure that I'm working with members across the aisle in my own party to make sure that they get what they need from our administration. So that means I need to work with our agencies or just working with the governor's office itself. Um, I see that I am that head concierge for the for the governor. If you are the concierge, can you do something about the bricks? Because I lose my heel cap in the bricks <laughs> all the time. I'm going to call Paul Coble <laughs> get those heel caps replaced in those those those. But it's in the governor's. Oh, well, you know, that's like 1960s Germany. So, you know, <laughs> please <edit>. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Is it safe to say you're the lobbyist for Governor Cooper? I am the head lobbyist for the governor. Okay. You have been around North Carolina politics for some time. This is not your first stint in politics. Kind of take us through your political career. So my career has started started off when I graduated from Shaw University. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up ended up in Capitol, on Capitol Hill interning. Um, I was an intern for John Conyers, a a member from Michigan. Yeah. Um, So I kind of got my toe in that water. And actually, let me back up. I forgot about this. When I was at Shaw, I helped start the first Democratic caucus or whatever you want to call it at Shaw campus. This campus dance for Shaw. And I I actually volunteered for Charles Meeker's campaign for mayor. Um, So that was kind of the first time I actually worked on a political campaign. But growing up. My mom vote, voted in every election. Mm-hmm. I didn't care what it, election was, my mother went to vote, and she took my sister and myself. And now that I look back on it and I'm reflecting, it was something that she was ingraining in us, that this is your civic duty, you must do this. Regardless of what the vote is for, you got to go show up and, and make sure your voice is heard. So I think this is, it, it was 
kind of ingrained in me to be a part of politics in my own little way. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, I end up getting a job with Bob Etheridge. Okay, that was my first job. Uh, I was a staff assistant. I was the keeper. I was you could not get in Bob Etheridge's office unless you came by my desk. Okay. And so I started off with Bobby Ray. That's my guy. Mm-hmm. Love him dearly. Um, and from there, I started. Vol- I start. I volunteered on his campaign when he was running for re-election. Um, and then I kind of segued and, and, and did more policy stuff in his office. I, w- I did. Um, I was his healthcare legislative assistant. And so, the Affordable Care Act is really near and dear to my heart because I was there when mm-hmm. we were writing that bill. Because Bob was on the Ways and Means Committee. When we talk about healthcare, I kind of got thrown into the fire because I didn't have a background. I learned this thing as I was going along, and I really love healthcare because you see how many people it touches. From Bob Etheridge's office, I went and worked on the Obama campaign. I was the African-American vote director. Okay. That Is this was, in 08 or? That was in 12. 12, okay. In 12. And I was still in Bob. We were in the midst of health care reform. Okay. So in 08, I was focused on that. So in 12, I did um, uh, Obama for America. Here in North Carolina, I was the African-American vote director. That Who's was- Obama? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Obama was. <laughs> yeah. I'm break sorry. It. I'm going to not interrupt anymore. Yeah, break it down. I'm me. trying to be no, serious. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to do. I'm not a serious person. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I did Obama for a little bit. I realized that that was not for me. Okay. And so I ended up working for Walter Dalton. Walter Dalton. You yeah, remember the commercial? I remember it. Um, I was his political. I went, I went and became Walter's political director. Did that for a little bit. Went back to D.C. Consulted for a little bit. But North Carolina... It's always been a part of me. And so back in 2015. So what age were you at this point? I was in my 20s. Yeah, I'm almost 40 years old, guys. I'll be 40 in this this year. This is crazy. Yeah. This is all crazy for me. But however, I was in my 20s doing these things. Yeah. I'm like, for Bob, I was like, you got a 22-year-old really like telling you what to do, bro. Like, you are sad. (laughs) Please edit that out. But anyway, um, I was in my 20s doing this. And so 2015, I came back. Deborah Ross was running for U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. I was her political director. And Deborah and I have a very good relationship um, to this day. Mm -hmm. Deborah's my sister. She'll she'll tell you, you saw her any time. You say LT, she'll Mm -hmm. light up and say, I love LT because I love Deborah Ross. We're very good friends. Um, And then when Deborah wasn't successful, uh, Governor Cooper was. He asked me if I joined his transition team. Did that, and then I ended up going to HHS, and so this was my second stint at HHS. Health and Human Services. Health and Human Services. Got it. Um, under Purdue, I actually worked for Health, Health and Human Services in the D.C. office. That was right after Bob lost his um, reelection. While I was working at HHS, was loving. I was deputy uh, legislative director there. Uh, Governor Cooper had an opening come up in his shop, his mm-hmm. lead shop, and they asked me if I would come join the governor's shop. And I actually said no the first time. Did you? I actually like healthcare. I mean, I'm not being funny when I say this. I really like working on healthcare issues. But, you know, it's kind of hard to say no to the governor twice. Right. And so the second time they were like, we want you to come to the governor's office. So I said, sure, I'll come. And I've been there until I left in 2020 to go be the state director for Biden. Um, we saw how that turned out because mm-hmm. he's now President Biden. Mm-hmm. And uh, the governor asked me if I'll come back to be his legislative director. And he and I had a really good conversation. 
and he he laid out what his plans were and what his thoughts were and his, his vision for the future and it was something i wanted to be a part of mm-hmm. and i actually was honored that the governor thought of me to come back to his office so i turned down a job to go to the body administration to come work for my state I, I don't look at it just working for Governor Cooper. I looked at it as working for my state yeah. and the people that I care the most about. Yeah. And so I'm back. I'm here. Yeah. So you are saying, oh, I'm almost 40, but you just laid out this long <laughs> history of working in both D.C. and in North Carolina politics. And you're Governor Cooper's first black legislative director. Is that the right title? That's what they keep telling me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of reflect on all of those experiences and how you feel to be at this point and at a young age, actually, I'm going to highlight that for you. You're not old. It's pretty young. Have you looked around at the people? (laughs) Unfortunately, I have. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I say this guy, I'm not the first black person to have this role. I think Courtney Crowder had this role as as well. That's right. But I believe I'm the first black woman to hold this title. Um, yes, I looked at this and I almost teared up um, when I looked at it one day because I was like, man, I was just do. I had my head down doing my work. And then when you step back and you actually, you know, you look at the entire forest because I'm looking at each tree coming towards me. I'm just looking at my the, those 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 battles that I'm, I'm fighting in front of me. And I zoom out. And I was like, wow, not only am I fighting battles for my state that I really love, but I'm also doing it with my community. And I'm not saying that my Scotland County community, because at the end of the day, I'm from Scotland County. I'm from Laurenburg, and I love my people. But I'm doing it for the black community, where a lot of times people feel that black people are not engaged, or we're just there for a vote. Mm -hmm. Um, No, we're engaged. We we have voices. We play roles. And I happen to land this role of the legislative director for the governor. That speaks volumes Mm -hmm. to where we have come in the state. But it also says... It, looks, it shows you how far we have to go because I shouldn't be the first. You have referenced Scotland County a couple of times. Oh, yeah, I'm proud. <laughs> you are a native North Carolinian. Tell us about growing up Little LT. Little LT was bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wasn't bad. I was, I, I was inquisitive. Okay. And I asked questions. And um, growing up, you know, I didn't grow up with neighbors next door to me like most people did. I grew up on my own. We grew up on land, and this okay. is generational land that we've had for years. My one of my great great grandfathers acquired it, so we've had yeah. it since the late 1800s, which is really unheard of yeah. with a lot of black families. And so that's how long that this land has been in our, in our family. And I grew up with my great aunt living in front of me. I grew up with my cousin living behind me. Mm. Um, and so I tell people I lived a semi-subsistence lifestyle because my great aunt grew chicken. She raised chickens. And my job growing up when I was little was to feed the chickens. Um, my cousin behind me had pigs. And God knows wherever else he put in the back of his house. You mm-hmm. know how country folks are. Mm-hmm. And But my mom believed in going to the grocery store. She's like, yeah, we're good. We'll go to the grocery store. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, was, I was that kid that wanted to know. I wanted to know why. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know why I couldn't do something. Okay, if it's if if you say that LT, you walk in the door, you got to close the door behind you. Well, why do I have to close the door behind me? Mm. Mom was like, "Are you letting my good air out? Don't let my air conditioner out. Close the door." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so 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 I I was that kid who always wanted to know why and pushed kind of pushed the envelope a little bit more. And sometimes that got me in trouble. Sometimes it it got me into rooms that most people that looked like me didn't enter because uh-huh. they didn't they didn't 
push why they didn't take the answer that they were giving because I wanted to know. So your mother worked in a factory in Lauren Campbell Soup. Yeah. You lived with your great-grandmother. My great-grandmother lived with us, yes, sir. Born in the late 1800s. Yes. Talk about living in, I mean, a single mom Mm -hmm. in Laurenburg, Mm -hmm. factory worker. You go on to college. Kind of connect all that for us, (laughs) if you will. So the biggest thing that really drove me to go to college, not just because I wanted education, is because I knew I could not, I was not going to make it in the factory. I used to, you know, my mom would let me take her car. She used to let me drive her, drive her to work in the morning so I could drive her car to school. I was the big, I was a big shot, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I'm totally joking, y'all. <laughs> but I would see my mom come out of that factory after like 14 hours, 16 right. hour days. Her sleeve, she had on short sleeves when she went in. She, the short sleeves were rolled up to her shoulders. Yeah. Her pants legs are rolled up to her knees, and she's pouring sweat. And for me, that just said. You're not cut out for that life because I don't like to be hot. Um, <laughs> but I also understood how hard my mom worked. And my mother always told my sister, and I, she, still, she still tells us this to this day, want more than what you have now. And the only way you're going to get is through hard work and determination. And so I can either use my brain or I can use my back. And my mother is broke down now because she used her back yeah. to provide for her children. And, I, and anybody tell you I'm a mama's girl? I love my mother, and I watched my mother sacrifice so much for her girls. Mm-hmm. Was there an expectation from her to you and your sister that you guys are going to college? Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those expectations of, I bust my butt for you all every day because I want to see you all get to the next level. Um, you know, my sister, she went to community college. My mother didn't care mm-hmm. if it was community college. It was a four-year. Yeah. She didn't care want more and now my sister um works for scotland county um social services okay so we've all gone on to do well in life my niece who's 25 is crazy i've got 25 year old niece um she's does she's doing well she graduated from north carolina a&t so it was always pressed upon us in our family to want more and go to school and get an education our friends over at the state employees association of north carolina uh, had a write-up about you, and there was a couple lines in there about you saying you really don't know hard work or hard times until you sit down and talk to someone who was born in the late 1800s, and you were referencing your great-grandmother. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Lucille Easterlin. She helped raise my mother. She helped raise my sister. She helped raise me. And just sometimes sitting at my grandmother's feet and just listening to her stories. When she talked about having to go to town, it wasn't no get in your car and drive to town. It was, you start walking or someone came along in their buggy or God knows wherever they were driving during that time or riding in and you caught a ride with somebody. It taught you, she taught me about community. Um, You know, people always like to reference the Bible, love thy neighbor. She really taught us how to love thy neighbor. Because my grandmother was able to do a lot in our community because of her neighbors. She helped take care of other neighbors' kids when their families were struggling. They would go to my grandmother's house to eat. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for us, you don't see color. Mm -hmm. You see somebody struggling. And so, therefore, if you've got, you share. It doesn't matter if they can repay you or not. Your job is to take care of your neighbor because your neighbor's going to take care of you. And that was something my grandmother taught me. And I am very blessed and humble because a 
a lot of people can't say they knew their great grandparents. Mm-hmm. I did. I grew up with. I used to sleep in the bed with her. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, my, my mom would laugh because she's like, she'd go to my room looking for me. I'm in my great grandmother's room sleep mm-hmm. because I just wanted to be near her. So when she passed away, I think that was the first time I really knew what pain was because yeah. that was like my best friend yeah. who died when I was ten. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, we buried her. We had the same birthday, August fifteenth. She was buried on our birthday. Mm. And so, you know, it, I carried that with me because I know what that woman went through. And she made sure she she made sure her family was going to be okay. You know, 20 years is nothing now. And I think about your great-grandmother being born essentially two decades, a generation mm-hmm. after slavery ends. Was that a part of any of your childhood oh, discussion? Yeah, absolutely. Her, her parents were slaves, but she didn't let it deter her she she helped it she used it as a building building block for her family because she saw what her parents went through she saw her family her family being split apart yeah are you you know think about it you had generations who will never know each other because they were sold off Mm -hmm. from mere from mere gain from from their owners Mm -hmm. and and the fact is we have someone that owns somebody else i just it blows my mind and I also say this is why I probably was not born during that time because I would not have been the right one. <laughs> I ain't the right one. <laughs> but but what that what it tells you is persevere. Yeah. And and that's what my great grandmother taught us. Yeah. Persevere. Keep moving. So you have generations of strong women in your family. I do. Um Talk about what that means for you now to be at the highest level of state government representing the arguably the most powerful person in the state. I work in a world where it's dominated by men. And so when you walk into the room, you have to walk into the room with confidence and let them know I'm here to do a job. You may not like me. You may not like what I have to say, but at the end of the day, you will hear me and you will respect me when I walk out of this room because I'm not going to come in here with BS. I'm going to tell you the truth and we can find we can find common ground. And a lot of times in this world that we work in, people only see the outside. They don't see what's inside. And therefore, I'm going to let my brain do the most of the most of the work. And so you make up your own ideas of who LT is when I walk into the room. But when I walk out, I guarantee you remember my name. Sky and I have been in social situations with you where you're with very powerful Republican leaders, Senate and House. You have been a guest at the Do Politics Better dinners. At first was surprised at just how much respect you have from these leaders. Enjoying conversation, laugh, policy debates, and I've even seen some hugs exchanged. (laughs) They may not agree with your boss, but they seem to have a kinship with you. We all got something in common. I don't care who you are and where you're from, what your walk of life is. We can find common ground. Mm -hmm. And that's how I walk into a room. And so when you see me talking to a John Bell, who I have nothing but respect for, Mm -hmm. we're both from rural communities. Mm -hmm. We can commit, we can connect from being from rural North Carolina. Um, We may not always agree on things, but we have a mutual respect for us, each other as people. And so I think that's what you see from, from me. And when you see me talking to whomever I'm speaking with, because honestly, titles are just what they are, titles. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, I work for Governor Cooper, but I respect Roy Cooper as a person. Mm-hmm. I respect 
feel Burger as a person. I respect him more as a person. And I feel like they all respect me as well because they know I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to lie to them. I'm going to tell them the truth. If I can do something, I do. If I can't, I tell you up front. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. But what can we agree on? So you're the eyes and ears for the governor inside the building. You're literally there every day. You're uh, in committees. We we see you. (laughs) We see you going in and out of offices. Do you feel sometimes that maybe you're the the kid, if you don't mind me mm-hmm. saying it, the kid of two parents that are always arguing. Absolutely. <laughs> Who doesn't? Like, mom and dad are arguing. <laughs> Whose side do I take? <laughs> the only side that I'm taking is people in North Carolina. Yeah. That's that's the side I walk in the room representing. That's the side I'm going to represent when I walk out of the room. What's going to be the best for the people in North Carolina? And so when we start arguing, and I said we, I mean, Democrats, Republicans, Governor, General Assembly, whomever, when we start arguing, what's the best for North Carolina? Mm -hmm. And that's all I care about. Mm -hmm. A couple months ago, I introduced you to Fred Steen, who was Governor Pat McCrory's chief liaison. And you both seem to strike it up. I mean, this is a guy, he, he said it. These are his words. It's the toughest job in politics to be the messenger for the governor at the General Assembly. And this is a guy, by the way, who had a Republican governor. Yep. <laughs> he was the messenger <laughs> to a Republican General Assembly. I imagine it's, it's on steroids for you. Oh, I, you know, you know, when COVID was starting to kind of lighten up a little bit, I decided to take a walk down to the building. Hadn't been in there for a couple of months. And someone said, oh, my God, LT, you're here. What's wrong? The governor's office is in the building. <laughs> I just stopped and looked. It's like, I just really wanted to come check on people. Mm-hmm. Check on my yeah. people. I want to check on my people, see how folks are doing. I hadn't seen anybody's face. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to come say hello. But, no, you're right. People, people see me and they automatically assume something is wrong because the governor is in the building. And I respect that because I do represent Governor Cooper when I walk into a room. That's who I'm representing. Right. But at the end of the day, representing Governor Cooper, who was elected by the people of North Carolina, means I'm walking into the room on behalf of the people of North Carolina. And who do I need to go talk to to make sure the people of North Carolina are taken care of? What is the one issue that you've worked on that maybe has given you the most pride or that you have accomplished and you're like, yeah, <laughs> I'm so proud of that moment? Pa- the passage of the Affordable Care Act okay. will always be... One of the most one of the things I'm most proud of as a person, but I'm not done mm-hmm. because I still need to get Medicaid expansion mm-hmm. in this state. Um, I see other states enjoying the work that we did when I worked on Capitol Hill. I want to see the people of this state enjoy it. You know, I, I've, t- I've told this story to a few people before. You know, when my mother worked at Campbell Soup, she had I've always had health care insurance. Mm-hmm. Have the probably the best health care insurance you probably could get mm-hmm. because Campbell Soup provided that. When my mother retired, because she retired from Campbell Soup to take care of her parents, she lost that. Yeah. And so my mother couldn't afford to go to the doctor like she used to when she worked at Campbell Soup. But by us being in such close proximity to South Carolina, she could go cross state lines and pay on a sliding scale. So why should my mother have to go to another state to get health care? Another thing that I'm I'm proud of and wish could have done a few other things, but it's the state budget. Mm-hmm. Um, I told the governor when I came back, I wanted to make sure that he signed a budget before he left office. I didn't get everything I wanted in that budget. I shouldn't say I wanted, but everything that we wanted in that budget. I don't think anyone did. We got a 
energy bill I'm pretty proud of. Yeah. I know Ashton Clemens was here. Shout mm-hmm. out to Ashton Clemens because mm-hmm. she shouted me out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did the shackling bill. Yeah. Um, yeah. That took a lot of work. Yeah. And I was proud to stand with those women, Amy Gailey, Kristen Baker, mm-hmm. Ashton Clemens, and saw the hard work that bipartisanship got done. It really did need your help because the Department of Corrections had some concerns in prior bills. Representative Clemens said you really did so much behind the scenes to bring them to the table. I did my job. Yeah. And that's what a lot of my job is. A lot of behind the scenes work that people will never see. And I hope they never see because at the end of the day, when it gets to the public, that means we worked out those kinks. I spent a couple of days and nights on the phone and meeting with folks within our departments because they had concerns. And I understand they had concerns because they also have a community of people that they have to protect. You know, some folks may say, oh, it's just it's just prisoners. Why do we care? No, at the end of the day, those are still people. Right. I still have correctional officers that have to be taken care of. I have folks that work in those facilities that need to be taken care of. We want to make sure at the end of the day, everyone can go home to their families, regardless if you're an employee or you're a prisoner. At the end of the day, whenever your release date is or whenever your t- it's time for you to punch that time clock, I want you to go home safely. Mm-hmm. And those babies deserve to go home safely too. That's right. You said you're not done. <laughs> it's been a little chatter that maybe LT McCrimmon is on the ballot one day. Maybe one day. Also, it may rain later today. <laughs> well put. <laughs> so, you know our philosophy on doing politics better. Like Brian said, you've been at one of our dinners, and we really pride ourselves on trying to be bipartisan, bringing people together, and that's kind of what you have talked about as well. In this climate of political divisiveness what is the one thing if you had a magic wand that you could change today about our politics what would it be trust Mm. um we've got to learn to trust each other we can talk about talking to each other you can talk to me all day if Mm. i don't trust you i'm not gonna believe you Mm -hmm. um i think everyone wants to make sure our state flourishes just yesterday we were at the announcement of uh, vinfast the first car manufacturer in the state of North Carolina. And I sat there and I stood there and I watched Governor Cooper, Phil Berger, Tim Moore, Robert Reeves, Valley Fushi, sit on a stage together and talked about how they worked together to get this accomplished. We can do a lot more of these things if we trust each other. Not everyone has a hidden agenda and we're not always going to agree, but if we learn to trust each other a little bit more, we can get a lot more done. Well, LT McCrimmon, we appreciate everything you do for the governor, everything you do for the General Assembly, for the entire state. We appreciate you being on the podcast. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I have worked with a lot of liaisons for the governor. And I said it in the interview, I'll repeat it now, 
it is, I believe, the toughest job in politics. Not only are there party differences, but they're just institutional differences. And you could probably tell from this interview with LT that she has a great sense of humor. And I think that sense of humor really serves her well in the General Assembly. She can diffuse tense situations. Very smart. She's a policy person. And she also understands the politics. She's really a talented person. Really appreciate her spending time with us and talking about her job. Tweet of the week. For a return on Tweet of the Week, (laughs) Kirk Osteen, again this week, he's at Kirk Osteen, he quote tweeted a tweet from someone at the New York Times that said, in state capitals across the U.S., crypto executives and lobbyists are drafting bills to benefit the industry, then pushing lawmakers to adopt these made-to-order laws before moving rapidly to profit from the legislative victories. It's this big article about that. And Kirk wrote, Breaking New York Times discovers lobbying. (laughs) The description of it's like, yeah, that is that is the job. (laughs) That's right. That's funny. We have some cleaning up to do from last week's podcast. Oh, do we? A certain legislator brought up the fact that we did not mention the champion of our Do Politics Better. NCGA bracket challenge. I'm not going to say which senator. Sounds like he's a whiner. <laughs> brought it up. We need to mention who who won the bracket challenge. Go ahead. Now you go ahead. Well, you made the bracket, and let's talk about that. It took a long time for you to get these brackets right, and we had a great final four: Chris Humphrey versus Michael Lazara, Kirk Devier versus Robert Reeves. Both parties were represented in the championship game. Had a shot at having a bicameral game, but we had a winner. That's right. Senator Kirk Devier won our bracket. He's number one in our hearts, number two in the overall. (laughs) He came up short uh, against Representative Jason Sane, who just really mopped the floor there and um, after the governor's endorsement of course he had to yeah yeah we hear that the governor spent about a half a million dollars on that campaign (laughs) and he didn't care about crossing party lines for this (laughs) no taking out senator devier to uh, set up a jason sane victory so uh, congratulations to senator devier congratulations to representative jason saint that was well done all right, so we got a big holiday coming up this weekend. That's right. It's Easter. Easter. Good Friday. Holy Saturday. Then Easter. Then Easter Monday. Easter Monday used to be a big holiday in North Carolina. Yeah, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> tell me more like you didn't already tell me this today. Go been, ahead. been numerous articles written about it. The most recent one was by Dallas Woodhouse over at the Carolina Journal. Uh, The Winston-Salem Journal has covered this story, and there has been a book about it. But back in the day, the early days, late 1800s, all the way through the mid-20th century, it used to be a political tradition, a state government tradition. Fans from NC State and Wake Forest University, back then Wake Forest was in, wait for it, Wake Forest, North Carolina, And there was a rivalry between NC State and Wake Forest, and they played baseball. We recognized Easter Monday not only as a religious holiday, 
but it was also a big day for baseball. Why don't they do that still? Well, Wake Forest moved to Winston-Salem. Basketball became king here in North Carolina in the latter half of the 20th century. And the tradition fell by the wayside. And then we also had some lobbying that went on. The banks here in North Carolina, as we became a you know, central state for banks, they asked the General Assembly to make Good Friday as the state holiday. So it synced up with the banks. Was Easter a big holiday in your family? Yeah, Easter is a big holiday. As you learned from Thanksgiving, my mom likes to cook. And so we had everyone come to our house after church and have lunch. And I believe they're doing that this year. I always thought of Easter as kicking off summer. I know we think about Memorial Day. What if Easter's in March? This is the optimist in me. I really love summer and I'm ready for it to start. And I never want it to end. You looking forward to summer? Mm-hmm. I know you're not looking forward to summer because yesterday we walked to the General Assembly. <laughs> it's a perfect 75 degrees outside in Raleigh. Perfect day. So we walk. It's, you know, half a mile to the General Assembly from our office. The entire way, Brian Lewis, is, it's so hot. I'm dying. Can we get in the shade? Oh, I'm so sweaty. And he needed to go inside the General Assembly and cool down before we kept moving. You know, guys have to wear these coats. You didn't have your coat on. You had it over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. well. Next. Yeah, sorry for complaining. Sorry. Yeah, you and that certain senator, a couple of whiners. (laughs) Yeah, that certain senator who wanted us to bring up that Senator Devier had won the contest. (laughs) So weird that Danny Brake cared. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That looks like all the time we have in this week's podcast. We were hoping to have a discussion with Senator Mike Woodard, but it looks like we (laughs) ran out of time. Take us out, Sky. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast, to subscribe, and share it with your friends and colleagues. We appreciate everyone who listens, supports, and talks to us about the podcast. Enjoy your Easter weekend, your festivities with your family, church, whatever you may do this weekend. And while you're doing that, remember to do politics better. I didn't get my stand hour. (laughs) You're interrupting the podcast to do a stand hour as you were walking around the table.